Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. Today is episode 9 of the Locust and Honey Podcast. Join us as we discuss the minefield of biblical ordinances. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do that by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and by subscribing so that you don't miss any future episode. You can also follow us on Facebook at Locust and Honey. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey Podcast. My name is Matt. I'm Andrew. And today we're going to be talking about the minefield of biblical ordinances. Yes. What do we think about that, Andrew? So, we are going to be talking about baptism and the Lord's Supper today. Oh, I yes. like it. That, that's cool, because it yeah. kind of ties into what we've been talking about when we were talking about the ordinary means of grace, mm-hmm. and how we've got God reveals himself through ordinary means, teaching the Word, preaching the Word, mm-hmm. worship and song, worship through prayer, worship through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yeah, we've got several... Actually, several episodes, probably. We've got the first table of the law working in here. We've got the regulative principle of worship working in here. Man, we've really been focusing on worshiping God a lot in these episodes. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. I think we need to get back to a proper worship of God mm-hmm. as a culture. Yep. And we talked about that Christian. in the Need for Reformation episode. So this is going to tie it all up in a nice little package for us. It, it should. Cool. Where are we going to go from there? Well, we'll see. I don't know. We need some listeners to give us some topics. Yeah. That would be helpful. Facebook is where you can do that. Or Mimi, just shoot us a text. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get into all that, Andrew, what are you into? Well, I'm into several things. All right. What's the first thing? The first thing is the Bible reading that I'm doing at the moment. So I am trying to... Hey, weren't you into Bible reading last week? I was. You're still into that? I am. Okay. Yeah. Your resolution is going well. It sure is. You've made it a week. I have. All right, let's hear it. So I have started the book of Psalms, and I'm reading 10 chapters a day. I've been doing that for the past week. So now I'm on Psalm 50. I'm starting to... What are you going to do when you get to Psalm 119? I'm just going to read that. That'll be my day. Yeah, just the one. The chapters after that are pretty short. Yeah, but that one chapter is like well Mm. over 100 verses. Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Psalm 50. Yeah, Psalm 50. What I am kind of realizing is, I think when I came and started reading through the book of Psalms, I kind of figured that, you know, I'm going to just have a season of of reveling in the goodness of God and His majesty, and just, you know, reading the Psalms obviously talks a lot about that Mm -hmm. and God's character and how awesome that is. But I think the thing that I'm realizing that I didn't think I would is how much of the Psalms are quoted in the New Testament by Jesus, by Paul, by there's all sorts of different people in the New Testament. And I know this is probably well known, but it's something that, that dawned on me when I read it and a couple of days ago was Jesus on the cross and he says, you know, Lord, Lord, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's Psalm 22 mm-hmm. right there. And so I just read it and I was like, wow. <laughs> right. You know, so that's been cool and that's been good. The other thing I'm into is my wife, Emma. She started her first week of You're work. You're into your wife, Emma? I am into my wife, Emma. Good. Yeah. 
Y'all made yeah. it a year. We did. Yeah, it's still going strong. It's still going strong. Good to so hear. So we're still into each other. All but, right. Uh, <laughs> she started her first week of work, her first job after graduating with her master's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're an adult. Yes. And I was nervous for her the first day. I don't know if I told her that or not, but I was. I think that this, and then I know I remember when she went to her clinical fellowship, when she went into the school, mm-hmm. or not clinical fellowship, that's what she's in now, but her externship. When she went into the school, I was nervous for her first day too. It's it's a weird feeling because sometimes a I'm more my, nervous of her first days than yeah. my first days on a job. I got a so. picture on my phone of uh, Tiff's first day of teaching. Really? And I posted on Facebook because you see like the parents, they post their kid's first day of school. <laughs> and I had a picture of Tiff yeah. like going into school. Her first day of school. Nice. Yeah. That's what I should have done. Anyway, her first day didn't go great, but her, mm. the rest of the days of wah, the week. Wah, wah. Yeah, but they got it sorted out. The rest of the days of the week have gone well, so I think she's she's coming around. She's starting to like it. She's had this is her third day today. This is the end of the week, Friday, but it's her third day of having kids. I think she enjoys her students and what she's doing. So that's that's awesome. been good. Well, is your wife a listener of this podcast? She is. Oh, well, we'll have to. I wish. don't know when she's going to make it to this episode, but in a year. <laughs> Emma, when you get here, congratulations on your first week of school. Yes. So what are you into this week? Well, this week I am into grilling. Grilling. (laughs) Grilling and chilling, some would say. That's what I would say. Yeah. So um, specifically, though, I'm into grilling because my oldest son, Elijah, shout out to Elijah. They always like when they hear on the podcast one of their names mentioned, they get excited. (laughs) But um, Elijah came and said that he wanted to learn how to be a cooker this week and so tiff said she'd show him some things that she cooks in the kitchen and he wanted me to teach him how to grill so saturday i'm going to teach him how to grill hamburgers and then he wants me to teach him how to grill steaks so i'm into that that'll be fun we'll get to hang out teach him some stuff and uh just have a good time grilling out nice yeah so got the game on monday night of course it's going to be a school night i don't know if you want to grill out for that yeah i think we're well i know they're staying up elijah's staying up as they're staying up so my youngest has decided he's an Auburn fan because his buddy at school is. Oh, you mean Ezra? I mean my middle. Ezra. And he's an Alabama fan. Dead gum. Jude is an Auburn fan. Yeah, I was just, like, what's wrong? You got a bunch of apostate children. Yeah. It's because they weren't baptized as babies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, my middle age has decided that he's an Alabama fan. All the rest of us are Georgia fans, but uh, so yeah, we got a big game in the family come Monday, Georgia Alabama for the college championship. We'll probably yeah, we might grill steaks then, do something. It'd be fun. All right. Speaking of transitions. Speaking of transitions, these always go well. Yeah, we're really good at. It. Um, but so we were talking about grilling, and that reminds me of the minefield of biblical ordinances. <laughs> See how that just flowed effortlessly. Absolutely. Absolutely. I spent all my creative thinking on the titles. The transitions uh-huh. just by the time the segues yeah, come, you're I'm just done. done. You're for, you're done. well, you're 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 grilled. <clears throat> oh, I've so been in raked, light of I've that, I've been raked over the coals. You've been raked over the coals. So is this segue. In with that in mind, let's talk about baptism. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Matt, I like how you laughed at your own joke. Eh, I do that a lot. <laughs> well, what is baptism? Yeah, so. I'm going to steal again from the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, chapter number 29 of baptism. Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, 
of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sin, and of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. So what that means is baptism is an ordinance that God has given us, that the church does corporately in worship to him to set aside those who have been grafted into Christ. It is an outward expression of what Christ has done internally in us. It's a declaration of us dying to ourselves and being raised in Christ to walk in a glorious new life that he has given to us. So we've got Christ. He's, he dies, buried for three days, raises again, and conquered sin, death, and the grave. Likewise, those of us that have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, when we become followers of Christ or disciples of Christ, we are buried with him in death, raised with him in life, and he imputes his righteousness to us. That's kind of what baptism is. It's a, an ordinance that the church does. Yeah, and baptism is definitely also, it's one of the more well-known things. I mean, they're all well, I mean, I'd say they're all pretty well-known, the ordinances, but Baptism is definitely something that people talk about a lot. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of confusion with it. So uh, with that in mind, one of the questions that gets asked the most is, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Good question. Thanks. Is that a question that's asked or is that a question that is being asked of me? Um, it's a question that's asked and I have brought that into the conversation. Ooh. So, so I would answer that by saying yes and no. Mm -hmm. Do we have to be baptized to be saved? Ultimately, no. We see examples in Scripture where there were people who were saved that were not baptized in the New Testament, but that's not the common practice. Right. What we see most commonly in the New Testament is the call to salvation and baptism. Baptism is this declaration and expression and outward showing of the salvation that's happened. So it's not a work that saves us, but it is a byproduct of saving faith. Mm. So if Christ has saved us, we will be baptized if it's possible. So there could be scenarios and instances where it's not possible to be baptized. The thief on the cross is an example of that. But the predominant calling of Scripture is to salvation and baptism. Think of Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right. That would be the, the normal call. So, yes and no, it is not something like a spell where you've got to get the spell right for it to take. Right, uh, But it is an outward action to show that we have inwardly been transformed by the gospel. Right. And this is kind of a side question, I guess, that I'm asking. As opposed to As opposed the last to, question. Not so much, I guess, a side question. But we see in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus himself is baptized. Yeah. In light of what we've dis discussed as the kind of definition of baptism— Yep. So we see Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit essentially descends on him like a dove. Mm -hmm. And then the Father, God the Father, says, Behold, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Yes. Would you say that that is similar to what happens to us, or would you say that that is unique to Christ? That was unique to Christ, but Christ did that as an example to us. Gotcha. So did Christ—here's a better question that I'll throw at you since we're asking random questions— <laughs> Did Jesus need to be baptized? 
No. No. He did it for us as an right. example to follow. Okay. Um, but we are being baptized into Christ. He was not baptized into anything. Right. He was baptized as an example. We are baptized into Christ. Gotcha. Our baptism is all because of Christ and his work, his death, burial, resurrection. When we're baptized, it's the church, one, solidifying who the church is, and then two, it's the way it's one of the ways that the church worships Christ together. We come together to remember his death, to remember his burial, to remember his resurrection, and we see him moving and working in the lives of believers amongst us through the act of baptism. Yeah. So anyway, that was a question that we had not prepared. Yeah. I just kind of thought of it as we were talking. But yeah, no, it's it's good. It's so good. it's good. Do you think that as a whole, yes. we <laughs> no, go ahead. do you think that as a whole, we as a church do this properly? As a church, you mean our like local as, body of believers or? Well, no, there's as the, the American church. The, yeah, let's say the American church as a whole. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I would say that there are areas of baptism that we being American evangelicals have gotten wrong. And I would say that there's a fix for those areas. Yeah. 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 I think I would say that too. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that then. <laughs> okay. Um, so I would say one of the first areas that we've gotten wrong in baptism would be understanding what baptism actually is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who misunderstand what baptism is. And kind of what I talked about, I think there's a lot of people in general, salvation, baptism, uh, we're going to get into the Lord's Supper here in a minute, but there's a lot of people that have just a, a, a wrong understanding of, of what they all are. And people view them more like Harry Potter than they do the purpose and means of the ordinances, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or even just the ordinary means of grace as a whole. A lot of people, while they would not word it this way, they, they view salvation as I've got to get the spell right. I've got to say the right words. And if I do that, then this magical thing is going to happen. And then I have to seal it with this action of like baptism. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's not what it is. It's not this work that we have to do. Baptism is just an expression of us worshiping Christ. And it's a means of fellowshipping with Christ as we gather together on the Lord's Day. Yeah. So I, I think that's one area that we've gotten wrong is just having a, a proper understanding of what baptism is and who it's for and the, the ultimate purpose. And I think the fix for that is getting into the Word and understanding, having a right understanding of the elements of worship and having a right understanding of what biblical worship even is. Mm -hmm. um, salvation is something that God does in us, and it's it's ultimately for our good and His glory. Right. Another way that we've gotten it wrong would be multiple baptisms. Have you ever experienced that? I have. Um, so my experience with that is there was a church that I was I was leading worship at, and they had an Easter Sunday service where they basically it was called a baptism service, and there were two pools set up, and they they called anyone who wanted to be baptized down, and they all both they got in lines at the two pools, mm -hmm. and they'd walk up, and then they'd be baptized, 
and then yeah the next pool would go and they'd walk up and be baptized so the camera would be switching back and forth and i mean there were like a hundred i want to say the, ser- the service lasted forever because i think there was like 160 or 120 people mm-hmm. who got baptized that day that yeah was, so with that multiple uh, I, w- I would call that more mass baptism uh, yeah where you see that and that's that was going to be another point that I was going to bring up, but so let's talk about that right now. But yeah, I think you do see a lot with mass baptism. My experience, I, I, you see a lot of that on social media yeah. where they have baptism day and everybody wears the same shirt and you get lots of people that come down. Now, where I'm not against that is if you've got a church that might not have a baptistry and you have several people that have gotten saved over the last couple of months and then you do a, a baptism service where these people are getting baptized. I think that's biblical. Yeah. I Where I have the issue is when we're making a day about getting people to make an emotional response to come down and get baptized. Right. If I'm going to baptize somebody, I've talked to them. I understand that there has been true biblical regeneration. Mm-hmm. We've worked through that, and they're now making that declaration to the church with the leadership of the church having known what's been going on in their heart. If I just open it up that day and say, who wants to get baptized? I have no clue what's going on in that person's mind. I have no clue their thought process, their theology behind that. And so, yeah, I think that confuses people. I think it can be manipulative and I think it does a lot more harm than it does good. I think you got people that say, Hey, I got baptized today. I'm I'm saved, mm-hmm. you know, because I think there are a lot of people that think the act of baptism saves them. Right. Uh, and that's not the case. Especially um, when they get in the pool and mm-hmm. the person asks, you know, have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the person says, well, yeah. Right. And then they get baptized. Right. It's like, so I think the thought is in saying that, it's just that's ritual. when you get saved. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And that's what goes back to the work of baptism. I think a lot of people view it as this ritual that happens. And I need to, I need to do that. But another way that I've seen this go wrong, there's a, a church that's semi-local to us, a couple hours away, but they set up a baptism tank in their parking lot with a live stream on it, and they did a month of drive-up baptisms where you could drive up 24 hours a day and get baptized, and congratulations. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I would say that is a gross misunderstanding of biblical baptism mm-hmm. and what it represents and what it is and the purpose of it. It's all for the local body of believers corporately, mm-hmm. which is the same reason why if me and you are in a pool and I dunk you and say, you've been baptized, you're not baptized. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. God has established it and he's set the parameters for it. Yeah. Almost turns it into some time. Well, it depends. But sometimes it almost turns it into almost like a conveyor belt system. Well, I think that the reason for that, so with us, uh, one of the major ways that the success of a church is is figured out in our day and time within our convention, which is the Southern Baptist Convention, is by baptisms. They keep track of baptisms to see how a church is growing, how a church is evangelizing and all of that. And so there's been this greater push for baptisms 
and I've seen all kinds of stuff where, you know, people transfer in from another church and join church by baptism. Uh, so I've seen all kinds of things with that. And I think that a lot of people's hearts, I, I hope that a lot of people's hearts are in the right place with that, where they're wanting to see true conversion. They're want to, wanting to see true disciples being made. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a lot of people that have been deceived because they're trying to, maybe without knowing it or justifying it, they're trying to, to see more numbers, uh, a growth in numbers. And I think as a church, we should never be number driven. If that was the case, Christ would have had way more than 12 disciples. Yeah. Now we should care for people's souls mm -hmm. and we should desire to see people come to Christ but ultimately, we have to rest in the fact that we can't make that happen, and Christ is going to bring who he brings. Right. We, we need to be faithful to proclaim the truth of the gospel, but one of the elements of worship is not more important than another. Yeah. So having large baptisms, but forsaking the preaching of the word or prayer or worshiping through song or worshiping through, you know, all these other aspects, the Lord's Supper, these are all important elements— and to say that this one element is the way that we're going to deem your church successful or not, uh, I don't think it's healthy. And mm -hmm. I don't think it's a good way to do that because we don't do that with fathers. Right. You know, you don't say this guy's got more kids. He's a better dad. You look at the, the children, mm -hmm. whether it's one or 12, and if the children are well-behaved and they're polite and they're trustworthy and all of that, then you would say, okay, that's a good dad based on the product, not the number. Right. And so I think that's a better way to, to do that. You could be a pastor of 12 and have a very biblically successful and booming and thriving church, or you could be a pastor of 5,000 and have a lot of people who aren't meeting the standard right. of what it looks like to be a, a follower of Christ. Right. Yeah, so I think that's an un, another one. Um, and, and I think the fix for, for that, that mass baptism, is one, pastors having an understanding of what baptism is, and two, understanding why we are desiring to see baptisms. Why is baptism an ordinance in the first place? And it's not just personalized. It's not just about that person going and doing this thing, but it's about the church— experiencing and seeing Christ work and move and grow in the lives of others and those people proclaiming the truth that's happened unapologetically and making a stand for Christ. Yeah. So off the heels of that, mass baptisms. I've seen several folks who say were baptized at one of these type services and that led to them being baptized a second time. Yeah. Because they were confused about what that meant. They were confused about maybe they thought that they got saved when they got baptized the first time. Mm -hmm. Then maybe they actually got saved later on and then they got baptized after they actually got saved, mm -hmm. which is what you were about to bring up. <laughs> took us in a different direction, multiple baptisms. Now, this is something that I would say in my upbringing, and maybe probably in yours too, I've seen often as well. I mean, before I even knew about what mass baptisms were. But I saw it because there was an idea that was pushed. And we talked about it a little bit last week with like, I think that was last week, with like revivalism, right? Mm -hmm. So 
one of the things that was pushed in revivalism is this idea that everything has to reach a certain level of fervency in the heart of people or else whatever that was wasn't actually genuine and doesn't actually have saving power or isn't actually faithful to what scripture calls us to. Mm -hmm. So revivalism, for example, you'll see that in saying the sinner's prayer. Right. um, Rededication. Rededication. And I think the same type thing happens with baptism where people will get baptized and then they'll think to themselves years later, well, I I wasn't really fervent about it at the time. I wasn't really understanding of what it meant, so I need to go and do it again. Yeah. I've seen people that have rededicated their life and then got baptized again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of ties into what you're talking about. So I guess my question to you would be, do you think that maybe the root of that is kind of this fervency ideas bringing from revivalism or do you think it's something else? I think it does spring from revivalism. And again, I think it springs from a lack of understanding of what baptism is. Yeah. If we understand salvation and then we understand that baptism precedes salvation or we get saved and then we get baptized and that it's not this ritual that we're doing, but it's an ordinance that Christ has ordained for us to do for fellowship with him and with in the body as a whole, then I think it would eliminate a lot of that. Right. I know for me, when I grew up, I got baptized seven times, but each time I also walked the aisle and said a prayer seven different times. Mm. And after each time I would walk the aisle and say a prayer, I understood... Right, you got to get baptized. You got to get baptism on the right side of your salvation. Right. So I would walk the aisle, say a prayer, and get baptized, and then my life wouldn't really change. And a couple months later, a year later, walk the aisle, say a prayer, get baptized. So there was multiple baptisms in my life, and but that was because I didn't have a proper understanding of what salvation was. I wasn't finding my salvation in Christ. I was finding my salvation in works and me walking the aisle, me saying a prayer me getting baptized was all it was all these things that I was doing to show Christ something right. as opposed to abiding in him and receiving what he's already done right. in my life. So I, I think having a good understanding of what salvation is, having a good biblical understanding of what baptism is, having a good understanding of what the church is helps us eliminate that. Understanding the elements of worship and what they mean and what they are is, is also helps us to eliminate that. I think mass baptisms, multiple baptisms, baptism being a, a work is all fixed by having a better understanding of all of that. And it shows biblical illiteracy when it comes to this topic. Right. Which also ties into the Lord's Supper because I think a lot of these same issues and a lot of this biblical illiteracy we're going to see play out in the Lord's Supper. So let's go ahead and transition to that. Andrew. Yes. What is the Lord's Supper? Well, the Lord's Supper comes from... Okay, so where we are is Jesus is about to be betrayed. And so it's Passover time. And Jesus tells his disciples that he wants to celebrate one last supper with them. The irony, not the irony, but like the theme in that is the fact that it was Passover. So what, what was Passover? Well, Passover was the final plague in Egypt. The Lord sends the angel of death. Whoever kills a spotless lamb and puts the blood on their doorpost gets passed over by the angel of death. And then the angel right. of death goes and kills the firstborn child of whoever didn't have it on the doorpost. Yeah. So with that in mind... Would that be ironic? 
That would be ironic. I was fixing to say that, and then I was like, I don't you know did. if you I said do that Yeah. But if the Last Supper is where they met for Passover, mm-hmm. and in the Last Supper, they're having the Passover meal, which is celebrating God delivering them out of bondage. Right. And then the Lord's Supper is us celebrating Christ delivering us out of bondage. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's irony. I think it's ordained. Yeah, it's a better word for it. Continue. Ordained, hence it's an ordinance. Um, <laughs> this is. Let me just read it. This is what it says in Matthew twenty six. Says now they were eating. Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, "Take it, eat. This is my body." And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, "Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood." of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In that, Jesus is saying, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So in doing that, he sets aside the bread, he sets aside the the wine as... Whoa, wait, wine? Wine, actual wine. And it said fruit of the vine. Well, I did say fruit of the vine. He sets aside the fruit of the vine. Was that wine? Well, yeah, uh. but it's also fruit of the vine. So he sets it aside, and <laughs> he's saying that the bread represents my body, and the fruit of the vine represents my blood. You didn't and, say wine. It was wine. Yeah, it was wine. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I know. Um, and uh, <laughs> so in us receiving that, that symbolizes us receiving the sacrifice of Christ as people who are in the fold of Christ. Okay. So that's where it comes from. Cool. Now. Yeah. We as a church do that in that. Well, yeah. And so I was going to say this, though. Yeah. The the passage that I read at the very beginning was Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. And I the reason that I read that passage is he's appealing to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So part of us worshiping God is presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And the ways that we do that are through the elements of worship. Yeah. One of those ways that we do that is through baptism. Baptism is this washing of our bodies, which represents this spiritual washing of our souls. We're being cleansed by God and we're being cleansed by his word. And in baptism, we see that in a visible display of what has happened internally. And then with the Lord's Supper, this is also a holy and acceptable act of spiritual worship because it's us presenting our bodies as this living sacrifice. And the purpose of the Lord's Supper is for a local body of believers to gather together and to remember the death of Christ. Uh, the fact that his body was broken for our sins, his blood was shed for our sins. And and so when we as a church remember the death of Christ, that's what he said, when and as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. They're remembering what he's about to do for them. Mm-hmm. And the church is called to look back and to remember that as well. And so I've got a question for you. Yeah. How have we gotten this wrong and what is the fix? Um, one of the questions I would say is when should we do the Lord's Supper? Oh, as often as we gather, I suppose. Is that the case? So every Sunday? Every Sunday. You think we should? I think 
that i mean i think we should okay <laughs> um so question would you say that a church that does not do the lord's supper every sunday is in sin no i i don't know that I, that i would be what strong passage? enough i'm sorry go ahead what passage can you point me to that says we should do the Lord's Supper every week? Well, I was going to say in as often as you do this, but that's in as often as you do this, not as in as often as you gather. That's true. I don't know. When should we take the Lord's Supper? We should take the Supper of the Lord every week that we gather together on the Lord's Day. Oh, yeah? Yes. Huh. So what, uh, what makes you say that? Uh, because that's what the Bible says. Where is that? <laughs> well, there's not a passage for okay. it. But let me ask you this. Where's the passage that says we should sing to the Lord every week? Well, there's not one. Where's the passage that says we should pray to the Lord every week as a corporate gathering? There's not one. There's not one. But there are passages that say what the elements of worship are, and there are passages that say when we gather together, this is how we worship God. Right. And so I would say... As often as we pray together corporately, preach together corporately, sing together corporately, baptize together corporately, we should also do the other element, which is the Lord's Supper. Yeah. So what would you say to, I've heard two schools of thought. All right. Number one is what you just said, which I would personally agree with. Number two is the other side which says if you do it every week then people are going to get tired of it yeah and i would also say that that other side is not regulative principle of worship well yeah they're probably nominative that's true yeah because then that goes into the same type of other stuff we talked about right they would also with, say that if i preach too long people aren't going to come right they would also say that if my music isn't catchy enough people aren't going to sing it mm -hmm. you know what i mean right so holding to the regulative principle of worship. And if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, we can link that in the show notes. But holding to the regulative principle of worship, I would say that God has told us how he desires to be worshiped. Mm -hmm. And we are worshiping him. It's not for us. So when we gather together on the Lord's Day, it's all for him. It's not for us anyway. So the same way that musical style shouldn't come into focus, neither should personal preference on things right god has said here are the elements of worship here's how i desire to be worshiped and it's for your good and for my glory mm -hmm. so biblical preaching of his word these these ordinary means of grace are things that we do for our good they sanctify us they draw us closer to christ they are his way of displaying his grace to us but it's also for his glory. Doing the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis, I think, is what I would argue as the biblical example for the Lord's Supper. Just like I'm going to baptize people every week if there are people to be baptized. Right. I'm going to sing praises to the Lord every week. I'm going to preach the word every week. We're going to pray together every week. I'm going to do all these things weekly because every week the church needs to come together and remember the death of Christ. Right. Uh, we need to hear the gospel preached to us. And the ordinance of the Lord's Supper is a, a way for us to visibly be reminded of what Christ did on the cross too. When we take that bread, when we take that cup, and we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we're doing this to remember his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, 
we need to have that on a daily or a weekly basis mm -hmm. corporately, not just sporadically to keep it because it, it goes back to baptism. It's not a ritual that we're doing. It's us gathering together and fellowshipping together to worship God and to remember all that Christ has done for our salvation. Yeah. I guess the next place we're going to go with this discussion is uh, the question of where you do communion. And that mm. is something that has been cast into the limelight here over the past couple of years since COVID started big time. Well, and this week, Lecrae just tweeted about it. <laughs> yeah, he did. So... Yeah, that that kind of spurred another discussion on the great Twitter scope. Well, the the discussion that was spurred, I think, is a, a good thing. Yeah, the response is what was troubling to me. Right. So, if you don't know, Lecrae is a rapper. He was a Christian rapper, and then this he then said he's not a Christian hip hop rapper anymore. He's just a rapper, but. He just he tweeted uh, this past week that he said, just did communion at home with wheat bread and apple juice. Hope this still counts. But what was more concerning than that tweet was the response to that tweet. And there was like was 600 sorry, people. Just, someone posted a video of R.C. Sproul, and I just can't. Yeah. That was one of the responses. Oh, his uh, peanut we, butter jelly well, and coat. It comes up and you don't see him saying it. You don't hear his audio, so all you see uh -huh. is him going nuts. <laughs> that, every time I, I look at I it. I remember that one. But there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, I, I did communion at home too. We had Arby's and Burger King, or Arby's and Mountain Dew, or Doritos and Coke, or yeah. whatever. One guy said he had... Bojangles biscuits and cheer cheer wine, but so I think that just shows uh, that shows a couple things. But my thing with Lecrae was God has ordained what communion is, what the Lord's Supper is, but He's also ordained where we do it. Just like baptism, the purpose of baptism is not individualistic. Likewise, the purpose of the Lord's Supper is not individualistic. Jesus had all of the disciples together and they were fellowshipping with one another. Lord's Supper is the same thing. It's for the gathering of the saints corporately to gather together and to worship Christ and remember what the Lord has done. It's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. My first experience with this was when I was at college in 2008. We went to a, a some friends of mine were going to a church and I went with them one day. They wanted me to come check it out and tell them what I thought about it. But when we were there, they had singing and then there was preaching. And then at the end, they gave us this little thing of like communion to go. And it was the cup with the bread. And they said, take it home on your ride home, do it together as a family. And so people would take the stuff and then they would leave and you would do communion in the car ride on the way home or once hmm. you got home or whatever. And they were asking me what before. I thought about that. And my issue with that is the same thing as my issue today. Because of so many people being at home and watching church through live stream or Facebook or wherever they're watching it because of COVID and the restrictions and all of that, there's a lot of people that haven't really dealt with the issue of well, one, the bigger issue is forsaking out the assembly of yourselves. Mm -hmm. That's the big issue. 
And then the other issue is within this, can we be baptized at home? Can we do the Lord's Supper at home? And I would say the answer to both is no. Being at home is not a place to do the Lord's Supper. It's not an individual thing. It's not even just a family thing. It's a body of Christ thing. We're coming together as the body of Christ. And so the bigger issue, I think, is not so much. One of the issues is, yes, God has consecrated fruit of the vine and bread to be the two ways in which we eat and drink to remember him. Uh, So having Doritos and Mountain Dew doesn't count. Uh, R.C. Sproul covered that well. If If you got time, Google. Uh, or YouTube, R.C. Sproul, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Coke, and he deals with that. But I I think the bigger issue, too, is where are we doing this? Mm -hmm. And and it's the corporate gathering of the saints together, and it's administered by the elders in the church. And I would even say, too, who is doing it? It's, It's the body of Christ. It's those who are believers who have been regenerate, been baptized, and that are active members of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So if you're not a believer, you don't need to be doing it in the first place. And if you're not an active member of the body of Christ, you don't need to be doing it, you know? So then you get into the question, well, could I take communion at another church? And I think you, you could, I wouldn't typically just do that. Um, because it's, it's it's for the purpose of that local body to gather together and remember what Christ has done. Right. But if you're out of town visiting your family and they're doing communion, I think you could partake of communion. Mm-hmm. Um, as an elder of a church, I wouldn't say, I don't know you, you can't do this. But if there's somebody I knew that was not a member, uh, they weren't a follower of Christ, I would let them know this isn't something that you need to be doing. This is for... It, it, it's showing who the body of Christ is. It's something to draw us together and help us to see one another. And just like what we talked about, there is this fellowship to be had in that, yeah. where you've got people that are fellowshipping and communing together and uh, all of that. And then we're also taking the Lord's Supper together to remember his death and his body being broken for us, his blood being shed for us, and the atonement that we have in that, and to give thanks for that. Yeah, I guess, I mean, really, and, and we're also going to talk about why. I don't know if you want to expound on that a little bit, but we kind of why we do hit the that Supper? pretty, yeah, we've hit that pretty well yeah. with, you know. Um, when and where. When and where, right? So we are doing the Lord's Supper. Why? To, number one, remember what Christ has done for us, mm-hmm. um, to receive that as his followers. And I think the why, too, kind of ties into what we were talking about with baptism. Right. I think there's a lot of people that talk about where Paul says that if you take of the Lord's Supper wrongly, that you're there's a lot of people, there's those of you that have been sick and are dying, mm-hmm. and it's because you're you're wrongly taking the Lord's Supper. So I think that that scares a lot of people, and they're like, okay, well, I've got to—I'm in sin right now. I can't partake of the Lord's Supper. Right. Why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? It's because we're sinners and we need the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and so there needs to be repentance— Right. I, I wouldn't just say, if you're an unrepentant sin, go ahead and take it to the Lord's Supper and you're good to go. There needs to be repentance. But if you are repentant and in sin, you can still partake of the Lord's Supper. In fact, that's the purpose of it. Right. We're remembering the blood that was shed for us. And what was that blood shed for? 
the reason why we do the Lord's Supper is because we are sinners. Mm-hmm. And apart from the blood of Christ, we have no remission of sin. Right. And so we're celebrating that resting in Christ and that being able to turn to Christ even in our sin and know that the only way that I can have forgiveness is because of what he's done. Right. So going back to Pharaoh and what happened there, you've got the Passover and they're celebrating Christ or they're celebrating God bringing them out of bondage. We're doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus is reestablishing that he's reestablishing the Passover through the Lord's supper because Christ is not just bringing us out of physical bondage, but he has brought us out of spiritual bondage. We're Mm -hmm. no longer slaves to sin, but we have the ability to be alive in Christ. Right. Yeah. So the fix, I pretty much covered it, but how would you kind of sum up the fix for these? Well, I think that to sum it up, we need to know our Bibles, you know, Mm -hmm. we need to know scripture and we need to know that and understand that scripture has a lot to say about everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's not necessarily one of those things where we we do like we do have freedom in Christ, but not these are not one of those things. You well, know what I mean? We do have freedom in Christ, but that freedom is to follow him. Right. Like the and and these are things that are ordained in a kind of a specific lane. Mm-hmm. And that's laid out in scripture and fix is to be faithful to that. I think kind of if you start our episodes from the beginning to now, it's been a natural progression and they all play into each other. Right. The fix for these is the same fix for the ordinary means of grace versus revivalism, which is the same fix for reformation, which is the same fix for biblical worship versus Burger King worship. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fix is, like you said, be in the word, understand the word, but to worship God as he desires to be worshiped. Right. And and the way that we worship him as he desires to be worshiped is being in the word shows us how he desires to be worshiped. And going back to, to, to end where we started in Romans 12 verses one and two, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The way that we worship God is to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. The way that we present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, is to be in His Word and to obey what His Word says. Mm-hmm. So salvation comes from Christ alone, and then worshiping him comes from his word. He's revealed himself to us and how he desires to be worshiped. We, therefore, follow Christ. You know, if you look at 1 John, if you look at all these things, how do we know that we're in him, that we keep his commandments? Mm -hmm. We're not saved by works of the law. We're saved by grace, but that grace produces works in us. And we... Like I said, we can rest in Christ knowing that he's working. That's why Paul said, I work harder than anybody, but it's not me that works, but Christ working in me. Right. And I think that's the fix for this and a lot of what we talked about. Understanding that regulative principle of worship, understanding reformation and the need for reformation, That's that. I think that's the answer. Yeah. No, it's interesting. And, and for 
everyone kind of whoever listens i mean i like my personal story is a lot of these things that we talk about are things that i did not necessarily have a clear understanding with until recently so as we talk about these things and as everyone listening wrestles with these things i'm in the same boat <laughs> what you know boat are you in well i'm in the boat of the things that we're talking about with the lord's supper and with baptism and stuff that we've talked about before they're pretty heavy topics and uh you know just as a side note me personally i'm pretty fairly new to the reformed community and viewpoint and so a lot of these things i'm having to wrestle with myself in a new kind of way in a new understanding mm-hmm. if anyone listens to this and is wrestling with them just know that i'm trying to work my way through it as well I'm trying to learn more about it and understand it more but uh yeah well i think that's a good end point yep so if you're still here thank you guys you have a good Lord's Day, and we will see you next week. That we will. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.